I don't know how I did that. Okay, how are you? Good? Okay, I'm good too. Um, in the Old Testament, there was uh, uh, something said in the Ten Commandments. Do you remember this? The first one was, thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? And so one of the things that the uh, Israelites understood and that we understand is that there is one God. There's only one God. There's uh, the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He's the only one that's worthy of our worship. He's the only one that um, is going to keep us accountable, that we will respond to. Um, in the end, uh, there's only one God that saves. There's only one God that uh, we can have a relationship with. There's only one God. Amen? Now, in the Old Testament, the, the weird thing was, even though they had that teaching and understanding, they still did something very strange, which was that they made idols. And uh, the idols um, did not represent God. Uh, a lot of the time, they represented other gods, and they saw them, and they would worship them, and uh, there would be these revivals that would happen when they returned back to this understanding, this, this idea, uh, this concept, this belief that there's one God and all these other ones are fake and false, then there would be this, um, what do you call it? It's a revival, um, it's a reform, um, but there was a strong reaction where they would take those idols and they would smash them and they would crush them and they would destroy them and they would go throughout all the land and they would just wreck all the things that they had been worshiping that were false gods. And uh, even to the extent Moses... Uh, this happened right away with the Israelite people. They made a golden calf, they, and Moses smashed that thing into pieces. He ground it into powder, and he put it in water, and all the Israelites had to drink it. And you think, you know, that's kind of an extreme thing, but, you know, I, I, I actually think, I was just thinking that it might be a better thing for us if we were to actually make idols that we could destroy rather than have the idols that we do. Because a lot of people walked into this church with their idol in place. And you know what it was? It was yourself. What? There's only one God. The only competition that God has to himself is when we make ourselves God. When we decide that I'm going to do and believe what I want to do and believe and not what God says, then I've become my own God. And yet, hundreds of people can walk into the church doors every week having that priority in their heart, knowing that that's the priority in their heart, and falsely believing that somehow I can still worship God and believe in God and hold on to this idol, and there's no way for us to smash it, crush it, destroy it, get rid of it, because it's just constantly there in the background. And it's, it's interesting because we don't always know what those idols are. I mean, we say it's self, but there's something about ourself that is so sneaky and deceptive that... Uh, we don't always understand that there are so many different identities that we have, that we're holding on to, that we have prioritized over our relationship with God, over our identity as a believer, that we think that these other identities can exist and compete with God, and God doesn't necessarily mind it, and maybe there's some 
way for that other identity to continue on and live on. And this morning, um, you know, as, as I was thinking through all these things about our identities, um, it's easy to be condemning, in a way, about this issue and neglect or forget or not understand how um, we each fall into it. But God was kind of revealing to my, to my heart that I also fall into this same category. Um, uh, I have an idol of my own. It's an identity that I haven't realized has been competing with my, my Christian identity. It, but it's there, and, it's, and it seems like it's a, not necessarily a bad thing, that it may be a good thing, and it's just part of who I am. But um, what I've noticed over the years is that there's been this growing uh, idolatry in my heart about an, a particular identity that I have. Um, and it's one that I didn't necessarily even choose, okay? Um, early on in, in my life, when I came to the calling that I have uh, to be a pastor, um, I dreaded the idea of being a preacher. I really did. I, I hated the idea of having the pressure, weekly pressure, to, to get up in front of a group of people and to preach for 20 minutes. Amen. <laughs> that was what I used to do. It was 20 minutes a long time ago. Um, but here's the thing is that um, over the years, what has happened is that that, that identity as a preacher has become more and more the identity that I have, I don't know, I have, have come to a place of idolatry. I, I'm not even sure if that's the right word. Um, and here's how I know that or why I believe that is because um, over the years, and especially in the last couple, three years or so, um, I've had a growing, persistent anxiety about preaching. Every week, it uh, has just gotten worse and worse and worse, where, I mean, I, I have a really hard time. I can't sleep. Um, I, I have this feeling of pressure, and um, not only do I have the anxiety before I preach, I mean, I get up at at four o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings, uh, primarily to come to the church and pray before service. Okay, I'm here for hours before anybody else gets here, just so I can pray and and uh, go through the sermon and really get my myself in a place where I can preach. And then um, Sunday afternoons, I'm just so completely wiped out and exhausted. I just and and borderline depressed. I can't sleep Sunday night either because I'm stewing about everything that I said and should have said and didn't say and how I could have said it better and how, you know, it just was not the way it should have been and all the rest of it, you know. Um, and it's this constant thing. And, and what I realized was that the reason is because I want to be a good preacher. And that's my, my identity. I want to be a good preacher. I want... I want you to, to like me preaching. And yet, that has conflicted with, in a way, my identity as a Christian. It, it made me realize why so many pastors, when they leave the ministry, you, you've ever heard of 
uh, a pastor who quits or resigns or, you know, under whatever kind of pressure that they're under. Um, and then they uh, don't go to church anymore. You ever heard of a pastor that, that has quit the pastorate and then doesn't go to church anymore? Or a pastor that quits and then they no longer are Christian? Like they just didn't, they reject the faith altogether. And I think I understand that now way better than I ever did before. It's because the idolatry of being a preacher has somehow become more important than the identity as a Christian. And when you take away the preacher, then what's left? And uh, <laughs> the Lord is, is helping me to, to understand that because... Um, if I don't understand it for myself, how can I possibly help anybody else to understand what they're dealing with? We, we can't just deal with the easy things, the things that, you know, the world deals with. We have to deal with the reality of what most Christians are bringing into the church, which is a, a form or an identity of themselves that is conflicting with their ability to be the kind of Christian that God has called us to be. And if we can't destroy our idols, then we will never get there. And uh, it was really kind of funny this morning at 8 o'clock because I'm praying this morning and I'm, I'm walking through all these things with the Lord and I'm actually at a very peaceful place in, in what uh, He's kind of revealing to me about it. Um, and I, I prayed this one prayer, I, I had this idea, God, if, even if you don't want me to preach today, then I, I won't preach. And you guys were like, oh boy, we're going to get out of church early. Um, and, I, and I said, I said, I, I mean, you have to be willing to just lay that identity down. Just say, God, if, if you don't even want me to preach, I won't preach. Or whatever it is, you have to be able to bring it to the altar and say, God, you have this. And at 8 o'clock, it was, it was interesting because um, somebody in the service had a, a medical emergency right when the sermon was about to start. And we had to wait for the ambulance to come, and, um, and it was like, okay, God's like, it's not going to be normal today, and I, I want you to see how I'm going to be in control. And it was a cool thing. Um, so... Is, anybody, is everybody feeling okay? <laughs> We're all doing okay? All right. Um, he, he showed us that once. I, I hope we don't have to try to learn that again. So let's stand as we read God's Word this morning. Um, we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're dealing with the reality of God is God, I am not. Okay? He says, finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passionate lust of like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, 
but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come and teach us what it is that you want to teach us. Lord, I, I thank you that uh, I'm not the teacher. God, I uh, at best is, am just a weak vessel for you to speak through, and I pray that you would. Um, Lord, would you tell your church your truth according to your will? Would you help each and every one of us to have an open heart, mind, spirit, Lord, to receive what it is that you would like to say to us? Lord, we're especially um, aware this morning of the idolatry that is so prevalent and easy and accessible to us, Lord, to make ourselves little gods, to hold on to those little gods and, uh, and think somehow that either you don't see or you don't mind. And Father, today we're praying that you would give us the, somehow the ability to smash that, destroy it, um, let you reign supreme, um, find our hope and our identity in you first and foremost, and submit everything else to you in that for your glory, Lord. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you're doing so that you do so more and more. The more and more um, issue is an interesting thing because um, what we have in the Christian faith is a very clear, I think, understanding that once you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, something instantly, permanently happens to you, which is that you have become a new creation in Christ. That um, when you have put your faith in Jesus, God sees Christ in you. That's what he sees. He sees you, that you're perfect. He sees that you're righteous. He sees that you're sinless. He sees that you're his son or his daughter. He sees that, that you are saved and that you are eternally destined for eternity with him in heaven. And so you have that identity that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and let me just say this too, um, just in case, because this teaching is intended for Christians, Okay, this teaching in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 was written to a group of believers about how to be mature in their walk with Jesus. This was not written to non-believing people on how to come to faith in Jesus. Um, and so for you and me, if, if there are people in this room, and I'm sure that there probably are, and there are people that are watching and listening that have not made a profession of faith in Jesus, then in some way this, this does not make any sense to you or at least it does not necessarily pertain to you. Because at some point, when you've heard the gospel, that the law of God was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, that he paid the price on the cross with his blood once and for all, that that means at some point in your life, if you've received this message, then you have to intentionally say yes to Jesus. Okay? 
You can't live a, a nice moral life and somehow earn God's favor. Even if you could do the best possible job to be a good person, it would never earn you salvation. Okay, you cannot be good enough. Why is that? Is because the Bible tells us Jesus fulfilled the law, which means the law has no power to save you, only the person of Jesus. So the Old Testament believers were looking forward to a Messiah, okay? And if they died before the, the uh, Messiah came, then they still were going to go to heaven based on what Jesus did, not on what they did. They were looking forward to a salvation that was coming in the future. We're looking back to a person that fulfilled the law 2,000 years ago. So either before or after, it doesn't really matter. We're all looking to the same Savior, and He's the only one that can possibly bring you into eternity. He's the only way to the Father. This, all of Scripture declares and confirms this reality, that you cannot be good enough because you're a sinner, but also because the law is powerless. Only Jesus is powerful enough to do what you can't do for yourself, okay? So what that helps us to understand is that we have to, at some point, intentionally receive that gift of salvation. We have to say yes to Jesus. We have to ask him to come and heal us of our sin, to forgive us of, of our past transgressions and our broken relationship with God and all the rest of it. We have to do that. But once you do that, what you've done is you've, what we say is become a Christian. You're born again. You are a new creation in Christ. You're saved, okay? So once you do that, then this funny thing is taught throughout Scripture, which is that you need to grow in that relationship with the Lord. You need to grow in what it looks like to, to walk with Christ and to reflect Jesus and to be more like Him. Is that strange? I mean, does that seem strange to you? If, if He's done all the work and I don't have to do anything to be saved, then why do I have to do all this other stuff that He's telling me to do? And, and here's what we have to, as Christians, differentiate between. Salvation, which is in Christ alone, and sanctification, which is the process of growing into maturity as a believer. Here's the identity that I have, which is I am in Christ, and now as a weak, sinful human being who is fallible and, and uh, prone to make mistakes, I'm learning and growing and trying to understand and trying to apply all the things that God has said, but He is God and I am not, right? So it's not that I do these things in order to get salvation. I do these things because He's in charge, and he knows better than I do. This is exactly where idolatry finds a foothold in a lot of people's lives. We think we're so smart. I, I think I got the answers. I think that I should have the ability to come up with my own set of morals and behaviors and values that why does God get to dictate those things? And well, the, the reason why God gets to dicta, dictate those things because he's God. <laughs> and if I have put my faith in him, then I've agreed with him that he's God. And if I've put my faith in him, then I've agreed that I want to do what he wants me to do. Now, this is based on a relationship, not a religion. Raise your hand if you are in a relationship. 
How many of you would like to stay in a relationship? I'll give you a little hint. If you want to stay in a relationship, then the relationship has to be built on loving the other person. That'd be good, wouldn't it? And caring about what they think. Just don't do those two things and you won't be in a relationship for very long. A relationship with God is really not any different. We love God. He loves us first, but we love God. And we want to care about what He thinks. What does He want? This is what the Scripture is trying to lead us into understanding, that we need to know and understand the will of God. So we do this more and more, more and more. God, what do you want from me? This is where repentance comes into play. Um, when I learn what the Scripture says and I understand that it's wrong, then I go to the Lord and I just say, God, I'm sorry. And the, as I continue in that process, what happens is that process develops my Christian character. So I'm becoming more like Christ because I'm learning more and more through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit to walk a life that is godly, uh, how to do it, even, even to the point where now I begin to want to do the things that God wants me to do. When you start out, and listen, we're all on different levels and different places in our walk, and, and uh, so this is not meant to be condemning whatsoever, but when you start out, you don't want to do the things that God wants you to do. Most people don't. You don't want to do the things. You learn, and you grow, and as you repent, and as you come back to the Lord constantly over and over with uh, this prayer and this desire to, to please this, this God that now you're in a relationship with, over time you begin to want to do the things that He wants you to do. And there are still some areas of your life maybe that you're struggling with. Even the most mature Christian in the world still has areas where they're trying to figure out how to get their will submitted to His will. Amen? Anybody got it all figured out yet? I mean, we're, we're all in that process. But it's a growing process. It's more and more. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Interesting that that is the place where he goes with that almost immediately. It's all through the New Testament. Um, it's pretty common. And um, thank the Lord we don't have those issues anymore. What a terrible thing it would be. Um, what was going on back then was, uh, anybody know much about Roman culture? First century Roman culture? If it wasn't the most sexually immoral culture in the history of the world, it was one of the most. Um, across the world throughout history, uh, women were de degraded. They were uh, seen as property. They did not have equal rights. They didn't have equal value. They weren't seen as uh, equal in any way with men. They didn't have legal rights. They didn't have personal human rights. Uh, they were used. And in the Roman culture, that was the same. Um, Christianity 
so strange that in our culture, in the U.S. these days, Christianity is, is actually criticized for being chauvinistic when Christianity, the heart of Christianity, is the, the only thing that uh, brought the world to a place where it understood the equality of men and women. But um, what was going on in Roman culture was that they were um, combining their cultural uh, personality with the uh, cult of their pagan worship, okay? And so what was happening is that they would go to a temple, and this was prevalent throughout um, Roman society, go to a pagan temple, they would uh, commit or they would... uh, sacrifice an animal, they would drink its blood, and then they would go and visit a temple prostitute. This was part of worship. This is what they understood as being pleasing to the gods, okay? Um, So adultery, um, prostitution, uh, unfaithfulness was was part of just the culture. It was what they all did all the time. It's how they understood uh, what it meant to be a Roman. Christianity comes in, and it gives uh, the church a whole different understanding of what it means to have a respect for human beings, which then gave people an understanding of a respect for women, and then to come back to creation and say, here's what, here's what sexual morality is. It is uh, based on how God created us men and women, both in the image of God. He created marriage as a place for two people to be faithful to one another within, to have a family within. Um, and then from there, you jump into the, the New Testament, and what Paul says is that marriage between a man and a woman is so important uh, as a spiritual value, not only in and of itself because the two become one spiritually, but also because it reflects the relationship that we have with God. It is meant to show what it looks like for Jesus Christ and his church to actually have a relationship with each other. Now, here's where our problem begins. Sex is not really the issue. The issue is identity. If I have an identity with my God that is that I believe that he cares for me he wants what's best for me, that my value is in him, that my worth is found in the fact of how he created me and the fact that he loves me enough to have died for me and that he wants a personal relationship with me and he wants to guide me into eternity forever with him, then everything else about other identities that I may struggle with or have or desires that I have, they all come under the umbrella of my relationship with God. So in that sense, it doesn't matter what other desires I may have. Let me be, just be really honest and completely offensive. Let's say every human being is born with unnatural desires, ungodly desires, okay? We're all born with them. We want things that are not right sexually. 
So, where's the line for what's right and wrong? Our culture says, and I think it's based on the idolatry of the first century, culture says it's how you feel. And there's something so terribly wrong with that idea because what that will lead people to is loves a, a child or their sibling or their parent in such a way that they are lusting after them. Does that make it okay? At, at what point do you say, well, that, that, well that's, no, that's not right. And, and so... Because the culture can't really define how we understand sexual morality or immorality, we can't look to the culture to tell us as a church, as Christians, what, what ought to be done. But our problem in the church today, it seems like, maybe not this church, but the problem seems like we're looking at the culture to say, how do we, how do we define what's sexually moral, sexually immoral. We're going to base it on, on the mood and the feeling and the majority of what most people are saying in our country, and I'm telling you that there's no line. There's, there's no way to even have a line because idolatry is when I decide the rules and I am not looking to the Lord to define the rules for me. And when I'm God and He's not, then the rules can be anything that I want. But if he's God, then we take our direction from what he has said. So it's not really a sexual issue. It's simply how our enemy loves to trick, manipulate, deceive, um, and cloud people's thinking into doing the wrong thing. Here's what I love is that um, <laughs> if you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, where am I at? Seven. Chapter six. I'm just going to read this whole passage here. It's chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that uh, he who is joined with the prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. 
Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You, you, there's so much more you could read in 1 Corinthians about all these issues, but what we understand is that you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit, which means that if not only is God God, and I'm not, but God has done something to change your very nature and to become more like Him. He's empowered you to be able to take all those other desires, those worldly desires, the desires of your old nature, and to, to somehow to not only uh, forgive them, but to change them. But you have to understand that it is based on your relationship with Him. And so each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, but you do know God. Amen? That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. Transgressing your brother, I don't think, has to do with sinning against them sexually. I think what that has to do with is being a witness to the people around you, being different than the people around you so that they see Christ in you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. I want you to think about something for a minute, which is... um, keeps you up at night. Does anybody ever have sleepless nights? Um, this is the thing that showed me or, I don't know, helped me to understand. Um, I worried about the most. The thing that not only did I worry about the most, but um, was causing me to be so anxious, so concerned, so fearful, so, uh, I don't know, almost obsessed that it was robbing me of, of sleep continually, night after night after night after night. You have something like that? And not everybody does. Some of you sleep like a baby, and you're just, you have no problems. You, as soon as your head hits the pillow, you're out, and we hate you. <laughs> um, This is what the Lord was showing me, is that for me, it was this identity as uh, a preacher. It was just keeping me up night after night after night. What is it for you? What do you worry about? What, do you, what, do you, what can you not sleep because it's on your mind all the time? Is it uh, a kid in your life, your, your child that you're worried about? Is it your job? Is it finances? Is it your weight? I'll be honest, I've stayed up at night feeling bad because um, I didn't stick to my diet or I ate the wrong thing that day and feel fat. Anybody ever feel fat? (laughs) 
I'm telling you this. These things, I mean, yeah, we have anxieties and worries and things that are on our minds. We've got to give them to the Lord. But the thing that you keep coming back to and you keep stressing over and you keep worrying about and it keeps you up at night is an identity about yourself that you have to submit to your identity as a Christian. You have to bring it into the, the submission of God's authority in your life. And number one, you've got to find your identity in Christ. That that's where my value is, that's where my worth is. And not only that, it's not about how good I am, it's not about how well I, I achieved the Christian life. It is proven because of what Jesus did for me, and I can rest in that. So when you begin to formulate in your own mind, your own heart, okay, here's what I'm, I'm creating an idol, an identity that I need to destroy, then bring that to your other identity in your relationship with the Lord. And what's going to happen is that you're going to realize that what you're trying to do is control a certain area of your life that you haven't given control of it to the Lord. The transgender issue that we have in our country right now, it, it should not be a surprise to anybody. The, the issue is that every single one of us wants to feel better about ourselves. And we, we know that there's something wrong. There's something about who I am that needs to be fixed, changed, something. And it, it's unfortunate that some people believe that their gender is what needs to be changed when what actually needs to be changed is our heart. And what is unfortunate among Christians is that because we don't comprehend that this issue is everyone's issue. We think that it's a, just a small group of people who have gender dysphoria. That we don't understand that we have our own identity issues that we're wrestling with. That God is trying to show us and reveal to us and destroy in us so that we can actually have an identity in Christ. That we continue to hold on to these other identities. Some of you, your primary identity is your motherhood. And that's a good thing, right? Motherhood's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. So we don't think that there's a problem with that being an idol. But what the problem is, is that you are trying to control your child to the extent that if they don't do exactly or turn out exactly or feel exactly the way that you want them to, then you feel like you failed and it keeps you up at night, night after night after night after night, right? Because... That's the most important thing in your life. And are we supposed to care for our children? But aren't you stewards of your child? Isn't it really God's child? And here's what I'm saying is that if you will submit that thing, whether it's motherhood, it may be financial. Like some people are just like so bound up in the idea of succeeding and it's not even that they got to succeed, it's that they want people to think that they've succeeded. But it keeps them up night after night after night, and they haven't given control of that to the Lord. And so their money is always something that they're trying to control and fix and be better at. And whatever that is, whatever keeps you up at night, and it can be any number of things. I, I, we have a pandemic of anxiety in our country right now. 
the majority of you in this room have a deep either anxiety or depression about what's going on in your life right now. And what I'm saying is, for most of us, it's probably an idol that needs to be crushed or destroyed or at least submitted to your identity as a Christian. And here's what I believe will happen. If you will submit that thing to the Lord, then two things will happen. Number one, you'll be released from the sense that you have to be successful in that area. Would that be nice? And you'll be better at it. If it's a godly thing. If it has to do with parenting or having to do with money or having to do with your work or whatever it might be. Now, if, it's a, if it is an ungodly thing in and of itself, then it just needs to be destroyed and gotten rid of. Amen? But as a Christian, everything that I submit to the Lord is now under his control and he's going to do what he wants with it. Can he do better with your life than you can? Will you let him? Oh, that one didn't get quite the response. I don't know what it's going to take for some of us to actually submit that idol to the Lord. Raise your hand if you discovered that you have one. You have to be willing to let God do whatever he's going to do with it. He may rock your world. It may not be pleasant for the moment. It may be a real challenge for you to, to actually say, God, I'm laying this idol down. You may have to lay it down time and time and time and time again, not just once. But I'm telling you what, if you want to be free as a believer and you want to be better as a whatever, then you got to do it. Amen? Me too. Father, I, I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide and direct us into a true worship, um, a true identity in Christ. Lord, I, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit would take control. Those who know you, Lord, know that uh, we can trust you. Those who know you know that your Holy Spirit um, is trustworthy to guide us into truth, to guide us into the, the place where we can be convicted, Lord, to allow ourselves to be convicted for that, that moment so that we can repent, so that we can get free, so that we can feel that um, relief of forgiveness that, that you offer to us, Lord, to stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to make ourselves feel better. Stop trying to figure out all these different identities that, that really are, they're not who we truly are. There are just seasons that we're in. There are things that we do. There are relationships that we have. 
but who we are is found in you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn that, discover it, understand it, to own it, to be changed by it, Father. I I pray your spirit would uh, do the work that only you can do. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to, I mean, we always invite you to the altar, but I'm, I'm pleading with you this morning. Some of you raised your hands. You were brave enough to do that when I asked you if you discovered an idol in your life. Maybe you've always known that it's been there. For some of you, nothing's going to change unless you make a step to do something about it. And the altar, I mean, I don't want to put too much magic into this idea of like, oh, I'm going to come to the altar, everything's going to change. But sometimes it becomes that moment in your life where you, you did draw that line in the sand. And you said, I called that idol by name, and I cast it before the Lord. And maybe I got to do that over and over and over again but I did it that day and I'm going to keep doing it so that it doesn't take power in my life. And if that's you this morning, come even for just a moment at the altar and say yes to the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and sing.